Heather Osgood is the founder of True Native Media, which is a podcast representation agency that specializes in podcast advertising. She and her company connect brands with podcasters to develop engaging host-read ads for audiences around the world. And in this episode, she shares her knowledge, giving us a lay of the land in the advertising space. She shares what types of ads work best for podcasts, and she gives tons of advice for anyone wanting to incorporate advertising into their podcast. If you're at all curious about podcast advertising, then this episode's for you. So let's jump straight in to the conversation. Heather, so grateful, so happy that you're here with us. To get started, your background is awesome because not only are you somebody that has experience in radio sales, you've been an account executive in the newspaper business, and for 10 years, you had your own trade show production company. I'm curious to start, what lessons did you learn in those roles that helped you on your podcast journey? Yeah, I learned so much from, I would say, all of my journey. And starting my journey in ad sales was really everything that I needed just to kickstart my career period because I started in what I think is one of the hardest things to sell, which is radio advertising. And I was surrounded by all of these amazing salespeople who taught me so much. And more than anything, they just really taught me the art of persistence and not giving up on the goal that I had set for myself. So I really feel like that foundation in radio sales really helped pave the way for my entire career. So yeah, just a ton of learning lessons. Oh, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. And so let's talk a little bit about the name True Native Media. How did you come up with that name? Why did you choose to do something that uses those words? Why are those words meaningful for you? Yeah. So True Native Media came from the idea of native advertising. So if you're not in the advertising space, essentially what native advertising is, ads within content that feel like content. So Of course, in advertising, we're never trying to trick anyone. We're never trying to make them feel like something is content when it's actually advertising. But when we look at the types of ads that people respond to, they respond to advertisements that feel like an experience, that feel like content, that feel like something that you want to consume. And the value of podcast advertising is this host-read endorsement ad, right? And so when I'm listening to a podcast and my, you know, my favorite host that I really know, like, and trust is there saying, oh my gosh, like pros made my hair absolutely beautiful. Like you guys have to go check this out. It doesn't feel as much like an ad as it feels like maybe a friend of mine recommending a product. So the idea of native media or native advertising is really at the center and the core of what it is that we create at True Native Media because we're trying to create ads that feel accessible and they feel um, interesting and they're engaging. And when I, I started the company, I was listening a ton to Alex from Gimlet Media. I totally don't know his last name right now, but Alex um, from from Gimlet, he started this podcast called Startup. And he talked so much about the industry. And he he spoke about the value of native advertising. And if you haven't ever had a chance to listen to some of the ads that Gimlet puts together, 
as I was listening to the ads, I was like, are these ads? Like I was confused because they put so much work and effort into the spots that they are just as entertaining as the actual content. And so that's really why I, I went down that path of selecting that name. Oh, I love that. I love that because let's face it, there's something special about an ad on a podcast. And I know you recently met with Rob Greenlee and he said that podcasts originally, they weren't supposed to be something for advertising. But when you think about word of mouth, the power of hearing something from somebody that you know, like, and trust, that's a truly amazing proposition and something that podcasts allows us to do because what could be more intimate than talking to somebody literally into their ear, almost like whispering in their voice, like, hey, this is something that I like something that I enjoy. And I want to share this with you. And if it's organic like that, not only does it not feel like advertising, it it almost isn't advertising, it's sharing. And I love mm-hmm. your approach. And I love that you've been so intentional with how you've crafted your company, not only who you work with on the podcaster front, but also who you work with from the perspective of the advertiser and the companies that you're working with. So let's talk a little bit about the landscape and the, the way in which every um, all the players land, right? So there's, we know there's the podcaster and we know there is the, the advertiser who's in between that you're true native being one. And then advertising agency, like give us a flavor of like who all the players are for those who may not be as uh, aware of who's in this mix. Yeah, for sure. And there are a lot of players. I will tell you, it depends a ton on where you fall in the spectrum. So if you are someone who is an independent podcaster and you're going out to your contacts and people, companies that you know or you've interacted with, um, there might not be anybody in between you and that potential advertiser, right? So I would say that's the simplest, truest form of podcast advertising. And then there's a huge spectrum in between. And I, I, I would say the most complex... Um, structure in podcasting um, goes like this. You have the podcaster. The podcaster has chosen to uh, join a network. The network has chosen to work with True Native Media. And then True Native Media chooses to work with an agency that works with the advertiser. So that's the most complex kind of situation that I've seen out there. And there is value in creating a structure like that. And the reason that you would would create a structure like that is because every participant is going to help support the podcast and the advertiser, right? So that's why there is value for that. But it depends so much on what the advertiser wants, as well as what the podcaster wants, right? So if you're a podcaster, and you feel like joining a network is going to help you with production and promotion and ad sales and um, you know, audience growth, maybe joining a network is the right move for you. And if you're an advertiser, it's entirely possible that instead of going individually to, you know, different podcasts and trying to work with them on an individual basis, that it makes a ton of sense to go ahead and work with an agency because they have access to so many 
you know, opportunities within the podcast space. And then where the representation firm sits is in the middle of that. And what our role is, is to connect the podcast and the advertisers. So whatever rendition the podcast is in, whether that's through a network or whether that's working directly with the show and whatever rendition the advertiser is in, whether that's working directly with the advertiser or working with an agency, our role is to make the campaign go as smoothly as possible and ultimately empower the host to understand and get excited about the product so that they deliver a really strong ad read so that then the advertiser sees good conversions and wants to continue advertising. Oh, I love that framework and laying it all out in terms of helping us understand all the players. So now let's talk a little bit about the ads themselves. From your experience, and you've had in-depth experience specifically in the podcast space, what types of ads are the best? Not just like host red versus not, because I think you covered that, but I mean, industry, for example, or types of ads. For example, I'm pretty sure that health and wellness do fairly well. And why do those do really well? And is it consumer-based ads? What, what are the types of ads that you're finding work the best in, in the podcast space? Yeah, absolutely. So you you definitely hit the nail on the head. The health and fitness industry is skyrocketing. Podsites, which is an attribution kind of data tracking company within the space, just released a study, I think last week, and they outlined all of the top performers in the space. So health and pharma were the number one category, followed very closely by financial services. Consumer packaged goods do really well. Direct to consumer does really well. Um, and then you kind of go on from there. But I would say that in this day and age, health is such an important topic. And because it is so personalized, I think that's part of the reason that it has done so well. I also think that when you look at the types of companies, we still are doing a lot of direct response advertising, meaning that when the advertiser runs an ad, they're going to put a promo code or they're going to put something within the, you know, within the ad read to essentially say, did this ad work for me? Did I get conversions? Did I get sales from it? And so really looking at products that are still very strong in direct consumer, those, those industries typically, you know, just perform better than some of the others. Yeah, that's, that's super helpful. And I'm curious to see how things sort of play out in the long term. And one of the things that I'm deeply curious about is you yourself, you're a podcast advertising evangelist. You, you've had to be an educator more than anything else, probably, because let's face it, you I mean, even though podcasting is still, it's getting more popular and, and all of that, and we're all excited about that. But the reality is so many people still don't listen to podcasts regularly. And amongst the people that do listen to podcasts and amongst podcasters, there's a very small percentage that are actually making money with advertising. So I'm curious, what are the biggest myths or misconceptions that you see people have about the advertising space? Let's take downloads out of the equation because I'm going to ask a question specifically about that. What are some other things that people just lack knowledge or understanding on when it comes to knowing this space? Yeah, I think the biggest misconception is that people feel like because they have a podcast, they're going to get ads and they don't, it, it, it almost feels like it's just a given. Well, I have a podcast, so I should have advertisers. And that really is very far from the truth because there is so much work that goes into getting advertisers. I think another business big misconception that I see is people have a a feeling or a perception that because a company is big and successful, that they have lots of money to spend 
and that it's easy to get that money. Now, I'm not saying that huge corporations don't spend a ton on advertising. Of course they do. And they do have a lot of money to spend. But when it comes down to it, getting them to select, especially a smaller podcast to advertise on, is very difficult because they are so metrics driven that it's hard to get them to choose a smaller podcast. So I see that as being an issue. I also think that a misconception in the space has a lot to do with pricing and maybe how much a podcaster should make on advertising, whether that be overinflated, you know, where podcasts feel like, well, gosh, I should be getting $1,000 an ad. Or, or I see a lot of um, comments all the time about CPM, you know, pricing, so cost per thousand. And I think there's always so many questions around how to price ads, how to package ads, you know, should you just put it on your podcast? I think, and this is a very good topic since we're on Clubhouse, one of the questions I've been getting a lot more of um, lately is, can I put the ad on my podcast? And can I put it on my Clubhouse? And can I put it on my YouTube? And like, what does all of this mean, right? Because from my perspective, these are, are three very distinctly different audiences and they need to be sold differently and monitored differently. So I think they're... You know, there's just, there can be a lot of confusion around how essentially to translate your show or content you're creating into actual monetization from advertising. Well, it, it, you've given a myriad of reasons why going to a company like yours makes sense because you have a depth of knowledge and understanding about the space. And therefore, you can guide a podcaster to make the right decisions, not only who to work with, but also how to get the most out of any advertiser. Curious. What are some suggestions you may have for somebody that is, again, we're going to talk about downloads in a minute, but let's just say that they qualify, that they have mm -hmm. enough downloads, that they, they do have an audience that would warrant them getting an advertiser. How do you suggest a podcaster approach identifying a representation firm like yours to work with? Because there's different genres, there's different factors at play. What are the things that they should be thinking about? Yeah, I think that you really should consider how you want sales approached on your podcast. So if you're looking for pre-recorded ads that are just going to be placed on your show, if you're looking for all host read ads, and then also I, I think the biggest decision I think podcasters have to make is the size and the scope of the representation firm that they want to work with. And it, and they vary greatly. So for instance, Native Media, we have about 70 different podcasts that we work with and represent. Whereas if you were going to line us up with like an audio boom or an ACAST, I mean, these companies literally have thousands of different podcasts that they're representing. And representation is a portion of what they do. It's not all of what they do. There are other places like advertise cast or podcorn. And I think there can be some kind of confusion, especially around the platforms. Is is advertise cast a representation firm? Are they not a representation firm? Is it a marketplace? So I think you have to get really clear on the types of relationships that you're wanting to have. And if you're wanting a more intimate relationship with a representation firm, if you look for a, a firm that is smaller, you're going to have a better chance for representation. Uh, another example that I would throw in there are there are companies like, for instance, Midroll that does representation um, at Midroll, you know, by Stitcher and, and you know, a huge corporation. 
And Midroll is very successful. They have been very successful for years. And they don't represent thousands of shows. I don't know how many. I would, my guess would be probably somewhere between 100 and 200. But they like to sell their really big shows. And I've talked to several people being represented by them that have decent numbers, but yet still struggle to get ads sold. And my perception is that they would rather sell a show that's getting a million downloads than a show that's getting 10,000 downloads, right? And so I think it really does depend on where you're at in your podcast journey and the type of relationship you want with the firm that you decide to go with. Mm, okay, super helpful. So let's let's talk a little bit about statistics. You had an episode on your podcast, Podcast Advertising Playbook, where you highlight some stats from the Infinite Dial 2021, which as you highlight, even though 2021 is in the is in the title of this report, it's really data from 2020. And I want to highlight a few of the things that you pulled out. This this report's put together by uh, uh, Triton Digital and Edison Research. Um, and a few of the things you talk about is 162 million people in the in the U.S. have listened to a podcast, and that's ever right. But last month, 116 million. Super interesting. And uh, last, um, you know, the the people that list listen to a podcast on a weekly basis has gone up from 24 percent to 28 percent. But that really means that 70 percent of people still aren't listening to podcasts regularly, which is a really important point. Um, and the reason I mention all these, I want to see what matters most to you and all these facts and why you think about this. And a few more, um, Hispanic audience size is growing. 55 plus audience size is growing. Female audience size is growing. And now there's over 2 million podcasts. Uh, of course, some of them aren't active. So curious why you pulled those stats out specifically. And as somebody that runs a representation firm in the podcasting space, what are the things that you're looking at and how are they ultimately impacting not only how you work with podcasters, but how you approach your business overall? Absolutely. So it's all about reach, right? When we look at the advertising pie, we have to say, who are we reaching with this messaging? And if I am an advertiser and I'm looking into the podcast space and I'm thinking about you know, jumping in and trying podcast advertising, what am I going to experience in this space? And to be honest... Podcasts have been very dominated by white male listeners for a really long time. And when I joined the podcast industry about five years ago, that was starting to change. And so it's important for me that we look at things like gender and race and age, but also the quantity of the population that are listening to podcasts, right? Because as an industry, our desire is become big. And we always talk about this idea that we're going to reach that billion dollar ad mark, right? Like it's coming, it's coming. I feel like for two years, people have been like, we're going to reach a billion dollars this year. And I do think we're going to reach a billion dollars this year, which is a landmark for podcast advertising. But when you compare that to a $30 billion amount being spent in influencer marketing, for instance, how does $1 billion really compare, right? So it's important for us as an industry, I think, to be very honest with ourselves about the scope of the reach. And also, it's important for us to be um, aware of the diversity of the reach. And so that's where those statistics are important to me. Mm, and you can't ignore the numbers. You can't bury your head in the sand and say, uh, it's one way when it's in something, some way entirely different. And then that, and so 
let's, that's a perfect segue to talk about the D word, which, you know, when we talk about stats, generally, I think it's more important or as important to talk about how this affects a podcaster who's listening to this right now. And I think a lot of people say, oh, don't pay attention to downloads. And that's the D word. Don't pay attention to downloads. But you, you advise, and I agree with you that why wouldn't you pay attention to downloads? That's a great indicator for not only your audience, but especially if you want advertisers, guess what? They care about reach. They care about downloads. So can you give us some brass tacks? Like, what are we looking at? How many downloads do we need before we should start considering targeting advertisers? How many should we consider having before we talk to a company like True Native or other companies in the ad space? Yeah. So I, I couldn't agree with you more. I do really believe that downloads are important. And to me, it's kind of like nails on a chalkboard when somebody says, don't worry about downloads. Now, everybody has a different goal with their podcast. And if your goal is not reach, then downloads are not important. But if you're creating content that you want people to consume, then downloads are important. And whether that's that you're getting 25 downloads or whether that's that you're getting 25,000 or 250,000, right? It depends on what your goals are, certainly. But I would guess most people are creating podcasts because they want someone to listen to it. And whether you want to sell ads, whether you want to sell your own product, whether you want to use it as a marketing tool, whether you want to use it as an interview tool to connect with people, there can be all kinds of different reasons why you start a podcast. But you should pay attention to who's listening because if nobody's listening, you're wasting your time. So I think downloads are really important. Now, of course, I look at all of it from the context of advertising. And I'm always shocked at the number of people who reach out to True Native Media who say things like, I have 25 downloads. Will you sell ads on my show? And I think, what world are you living in that you think 25 downloads is enough for me to sell ads on your show? But because this has not happened once, but many, many times over the last five years, it leads me to believe that people really do think that if they have a podcast that has 25 downloads, that they can get advertisers. And of course, there's a huge scope right from there. So my opinion is that it depends a lot on the type of audience that you have. So we recently talked to a podcast that specifically talked to surgeons, right? It was a podcast dedicated to information about how to be a better surgeon. Well, if I'm reaching a thousand surgeons, I'm reaching a very specific niche audience that can be worth a lot, right? Because those thousand surgeons I'm guessing probably make over a hundred thousand a year, right? I'm guessing that there are like maybe some very specific things about this audience that is very appealing. Not to mention the fact that if you're a company that wants to target to surgeons, that's a hard market to reach. So you can charge a lot more and you can start selling advertising a lot sooner if you have a very niche audience that also is very desirable. And I like to say that because if you've decided that your podcast is all about um, cat lovers who you know, enjoy the color purple, there's not that many advertisers out there looking to reach that market. So you can be very niche and yet reach an undesirable audience, or you can be very niche and reach a very desirable audience. So who is listening to your show is very, very important, period, when it comes to advertising. But if we're looking at just the brass tacks of how many downloads you need to have in order to really succeed with advertising... My recommendation is that if you want to sell ads on your own, which I do really think is the very most profitable way of doing it because you get to keep 100% of the money that you bring in, 
I think that if you have around a thousand downloads, that that's a good time to consider advertising. Now, of course, this is going out yourself, soliciting advertisers, and you have the power to communicate to an advertiser the value proposition that you bring. And also, you can cluster it with other things, right? You can say, I've got the podcast, I've got Clubhouse, I've got a newsletter, I've got a website, I'm going to put you here, there and everywhere, right? You can create a package. If you're looking to partner with a representation firm or someone who's going to do the ad selling for you, I would say you're really looking at more in the five to 10,000 downloads per episode range. Now, we do have dynamic ad insertion that is much more prevalent today than it has been in the past. So it used to be we wanted you to look at the downloads per episode in a 30-day period. However, if your show is set up on a hosting platform that allows for dynamic ad insertion, you can get to a lower number because the ad is going to be inserted in all of your episodes and not just one. So I say in that case, really, you're looking about 10 to 20,000 downloads collectively across all of your episodes. When you say the 10 to 20, are you saying then for a 30-day period collectively? So if you looked at a month, if you said from April 1st through April 30th, across all of my episodes, I'm getting... 10,000, 15,000, 20,000. Like those, those are pretty decent numbers for advertisers if you're going to do dynamic insertion. Gotcha. And, and for those listening right now, it's dynamic ad insertion is when you allow the ads to populate basically dynamically as opposed to statically, where you embed that into your recording and it stays there in perpetuity effectively, unless you actually take the episode and edit it and swap it out, which if you think about it from a long-term perspective, giving yourself that flexibility has uh, many advantages. One of the things you spoke about was this thousand download mark, especially if you're going to go out on your own. It's doubtful that a company like yours would work with somebody at that level, but it doesn't preclude you or prevent you as the podcaster from going proactively out, especially if you have a very targeted niche. If you know you're speaking to somebody that is very specific and you know an advertiser that also speaks to that same audience and has that same client base or, or customer base, then it's a great potential uh, advertiser for you. So what would you suggest if you are going out on your own, how do you make it very attractive? Because you've mentioned a few things. And the way I think about this is you're a media company, you're not just a podcaster, right? So you have, if you're on LinkedIn, or if you're active on Instagram, or you're on Clubhouse, or you have your own email list, or you put out blog posts, all of these things collectively add up to make it more attractive for the advertiser. So What are some other suggestions that you have for somebody that does want to go out on their own to start? And that could include, you know, how they target the right people, what they say, what the outreach looks like, anything that you think would be valuable. Yeah, absolutely. So first and foremost, if you're going to go out on your own, you have to know who is listening to your podcast. So whether that means that you're running a survey, whether that means that you're collecting social data, however you can get to your audience understand who's listening to your show because you have to realize that every brand has a target customer that they're going after. And when you go to that brand, if you can say, Hey, look, I deliver your customer to you, they're going to take notice. But if you go to them and you say, well, I reach everybody, everybody listens to my podcast, they're going to say, no, thank you. Right? So make sure you know who listens to your show and who is consuming your content period. Right? So make sure you're clear on that. Next, I always recommend that depending on who you're interested in partnering with, think about the caliber of the partnerships that you are wanting and then create content 
that reflects that same caliber. So as we're talking about this, this is all really influencer marketing because you, the host, you, the content creator, you're getting behind this brand and you're saying, hey, audience, this is a really cool brand and you should buy it. So a brand is only going to want you to be their ambassador if they feel like you're creating content that is worthy of partnership. So that means making sure that you're going the extra mile to do things that look professional, that are executed well, that the sound is good, that the you know posting content is consistent. All of those are elements that people are going to look at. So I think that's really important. Next, you really do need to have something for them to hold on to. And what I mean by that is a media kit of some sort. So you are going to want to have a piece of information. And of course, nine times out of 10, it's going to be a a digital piece, but you're going to want to have a piece that talks about who you are, about the content that you're creating, about the audience you're reaching, and about pricing that you have put together, right? So in that document, that should be a well-designed pyrographic artist to create this kind of document that when I open it up, it looks beautiful, it looks exciting. And I think I want to reach that audience. I want to reach the person listening to this podcast, listening to this clubhouse, reading these social posts, right? So do that. And then to your point, I would highly recommend if you're going out and selling on your own, if you can bundle things together, I think that it really does go a long way in creating more value for the advertiser. The other thing is it takes this laser focus off of how big is your podcast audience and it gives you a broader audience, right? So now you can say, with this campaign, you're going to reach 200,000 people because between Facebook and Twitter and my newsletter and my podcast and my clubhouse, it gets to that number, right? So you have this potential to grow that number and make it bigger. Not to mention the fact that advertisers succeed with multiple impressions, right? And so if you've got somebody who reads your newsletter, follows you on social, and then listens to your podcast, that's going to be three nice impressions that that advertiser is getting that's going to help them get closer to a conversion. So I think that those are really important things. Now, I I feel like a question a lot of people have is like, how do I price that, right? Like if I put all those things together, how do I know what to charge someone? And my very scientific answer to that is just guess. You know, I mean, think about how much do you want to get paid for this? If you're like, I'm going to put all this work and energy into this. And if I don't get at least $1,000, it's not going to be worth my time. You know, think about what your time is worth but also look at the value of the product that you um, are going to be advertising, right? So if you talked to a company once that sold these like flat, like sleeping headphones, and I said, well, what kind of return customer base do you have? And he said, almost no return customers. People buy the product. They like it so well. It, you know, it works so, so good and lasts product lasts so long that typically people will buy one pair, maybe two. And if product was, Dollars and I'm like, okay, you're gonna have to sell a lot of headphones to make up for this ten thousand dollar ad campaign, right? So, look at at what does the advertiser need to get a return on their investment? If you if they invest a thousand dollars with you, can they get one customer and cover that expense? Do they need to get ten customers? Do they need to get a thousand customers? So, if you can make some um, some assumptions on their product value that will help you price the package appropriately because you'll know what you need and you'll know what they need. Mm, Really smart to put yourself in your advertiser's mindset 
and understand what will help them see the value of your advertising spots and how they could benefit them. Thinking about it from their perspective is so, so crucial. So I'm glad that you brought up pricing because that's where I was going to go with it. I'm curious, as we think about pricing, how do you frame the duration of the agreement? Meaning, is it something you do monthly, quarterly, yearly? What are the pros and cons to each? And then secondly, how do you over deliver? Because I'm a big believer that you should always provide more in value than you take in payment. So how do you focus and make sure that you're always over delivering for your advertisers? Yeah, that's such a great question. And, you know, when it comes, when it comes to really looking at how do you over deliver essentially, or how do you create a really solid campaign for them? I would start with how much do you actually really like the product, right? So if you can really be authentic about the product, it's going to convert better because you're going to create really good ad base. So start with that. And especially if you're going out on your own, I tell people like, Make a list of all the brands that you like. Where if, if it's something where you're like, I use this water bottle every day. I love it. I'm gonna like, I would be so happy to advertise it. Then you know, start with that because you're gonna come up with these really authentic messages. And then in terms of creating a time structure for campaigns, I think it's I have seen it happen where oftentimes I too quickly and you have to again put your shoes your your yourself in the shoes of the advertiser. So advertisers are looking for a return on their investment. And whether that is a branding campaign or whether that is a direct response campaign, they want to know that they are getting back what it is that they paid for. And if you come up to somebody that you don't know, even if you love their product and you say, Hey Billy, I think you should run an annual campaign with me and it's gonna cost twelve thousand dollars and you're gonna get all this, blah 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 blah. Right, they're going to say, "Wow, I just met you, and I don't know what I think about that." So, my recommendation is to start smaller and grow from there. So, ideally, though, you don't want to start so small that they can't see a return, because again, that gets back to frequency. People need to hear about a product and service seven to ten times typically before they're going to make a buying decision. Right. So, if somebody's running one or two ads with you, they're probably not going to see a lot of conversions, and that's going to, you know, reflect poorly on you. So you want to put a campaign together that's large enough that that brand is getting um, awareness created around them and so that your audience has a chance to react to them, but not so long that the advertiser is going to be freaked out, essentially, that you're asking them to overcommit. So my recommendation is like a quarter. I think three months is a really good solid ad plan. And you can do do stuff with a quarter, right? So you can take a look at your content and you can say, I'm going to customize this, you know, content around this advertiser even, right? So we're going to run these ads and then I'm going to send them out in my newsletter. And, and, you know, the second month we're talking about stress and we're advertising headspace and it's going to fit in perfectly, right? So create some sort of a campaign for them where there are multiple touch points within that three-month period. And then in terms of over-delivery, I really think that when it comes to advertisers, a big part of what you need to do is you need to show them what you were doing for them. Don't assume that because they're paying you money that they are paying attention to what you're doing because they're very busy. They don't always have time to pay attention. So make sure that you're checking in with them regularly, that you're sending them the links to all of this material that you're creating 
And then when you reach out, you say things like, oh my gosh, this campaign is amazing. I'm getting a great response from my audience. Look at all these wonderful things that I did for you. And then you know, constantly stay in touch with them over that three-month period. The other thing that I have found is helpful is at the beginning of the campaign, create expectations about what they should get during that three-month campaign, right? So what is it that they're hoping to get? And if you can figure out what they need, then you can show them how you're delivering it and bring it back to, I know that this you said you wanted, and look, I'm delivering it. I know this is what you said you wanted, and look, I'm delivering it. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's so gold right there. If you're ahead of time setting expectations, but expectations based on what they want, like what are their goals? What does success look like for them? And then you remind them, hey, this is what you said your goals were. Guess what? We've not only achieved that, we've done this, this, and this. To your point, don't go AWOL. Don't be missing in action. Be proactive about the outreach and making sure you're very, very clear on how you're meeting or exceeding the factors and the uh, expectations that were set early on. You mentioned host red ads. And I'm really curious, like, what makes a good host red ad? And is there anyone? that you would suggest us listen to a podcaster that does it really, really well. I think that would be helpful for anyone listening right now because let's face it, it could be done well and it could be done poorly. What's your suggestion? Well, Billy, it feels in some ways like you were in my production studio last week because the episode that I have coming out this week on the podcast advertising playbook is me going through three different episodes and dissecting them and really talking about why this is a good ad read. So if you're interested, check that out. I highlight in that episode, Pat Flynn from Smart Passive Income. I also highlight What Fresh Hell and Eric from Beyond the To-Do List. And so really what I feel makes a good host read ad, number one, first and foremost, is authenticity. So try to really not sound scripted. Try not to sound canned. Because the minute that you go into that, I'm reading an ad for you now, voice. People just turn off, right? So Anything that you can do to make the ad feel interesting and something that people want to listen to is really important. Next, try to integrate some humor or some stories. So Margaret and Amy from What Fresh Hell, they're comedians, which you know, gives them a bit of a leg up. But every time I start listening to their ad read, I literally think, what are they talking about? Even though I know it's an ad, right? I'm like, oh, what, what is it that they're saying? Like, I want in on this conversation, right? Like, I want to hear. And then you get pulled in because they're talking about their lives. So if you can integrate your life or your story into an ad read, that's super helpful. Um, and next, you know, just a lot of clarity about the product and why it's going to benefit somebody's life. Clarity about the call to action and what you want people to do. You know, um, one of the, the pieces that I talk about in the um, episode where I break everything down is you know, Eric says in his ad read, like, go buy this product. Like, that's what you should be saying in your ad reads. You should be saying, audience, you need this product. Go and buy it. And the other thing, and this sounds like a funny thing to say, but I've worked with podcasts who are like, ads are just a necessary evil. I guess I have to have them in my show. And 
that all comes across to the audience. If you, if you say, I am so sorry, audience, that I have to put these ads on here, but I need to get paid, which I've heard lots of podcasts do, like, just let's just suffer through this together. Okay, here goes the ad read. Like, what kind of a relationship are you forming with your advertiser? Do you really expect that someone's going to come back after that? Right? Like, the reality is, all love by products and services, right? And if a friend of yours came over and they said, oh my gosh, I just bought the most amazing thing, like you have to get this, it's going to change your life. You can listen, you might buy it, right? And that's what you're doing with that. So if you can convey that to your audience, you're going to be successful. I love that. Yeah. And your mindset is so, so important. And so my, my last question before we go to a few audience questions, I see Avi and Gonzalo up here on stage is coming from sales and marketing, I've been in that space for years in the corporate environment, lead attribution and, and understanding, like understanding how to give credit where credit is due is super important. What suggestion do you have to make sure that if I'm a podcaster and I'm doing my best to do a phenomenal post-read ad, what are either tools or, or suggestions that you have to attribute my podcast and my host-read advertisement to a sale or conversion? What, what suggestions do you have in that space? Yeah, the easiest is creating a unique URL or a promo code, right? And so this happens all the time, of course, in podcast ads and influencer marketing. So if you can get that advertiser to create something specific for you to promote, that is very easiest, low-tech solution to really you know, tracking that. Um, if we want to get more complex, there are a few newer companies. And I say newer, they've been around for a couple of years, but in the, the podcast space, um, Podsites, Chartable, um, and they will essentially track who has listened to the podcast. And then through a, a tracking pixel on the advertiser's website, they'll be able to see who has come and visited the site and signed up for a newsletter, made a purchasing decision, right? So you can put this tracking pixel in several different places on your site. So that's the highest way of doing it. And if you can do that, I think that's a really good option. Um, my guess would be you probably would need working with sort of a third party like a representation firm in order to really implement that. Um, but not necessarily. I mean, it probably just depends on the size of your show. But really, it is very important to make sure that you are putting in specific mechanisms to make sure that the advertiser sees the results because you want it to be as black and white as possible. Yeah, no, leave no room for ambiguity. Thank you so much, Heather. I'm excited to have uh, some audience questions now. We're going to go to Avi first. Avi is an ex-film marketing and strategy executive turned Transformation Ninja. I've gotten to know her on this platform and she's amazing. So Avi, if you could start by saying your name and then your question for Heather, over to you. Hi, my name is Avi. And my question for you, Heather, is that my friend went on Duncan Trussell's podcast mm -hmm last month and we are growing a brand together and he sent me the podcast and there was a very long ad about a sleeping aid in there and both of us like authenticity transparency and intentionality is everything that we do and this ad was so long and it like it, and it was about a sleeping medication and it came across so like I was so uncomfortable and and then I'm thinking, okay, Duncan's pretty authentic 
what is happening here? And did he, does he have control over what's happening here? Because even the association with the, when I was listening to the podcast, like at some point I just had to stop listening to it. So I'm just wondering how does that dance work? Because like, if we ever did that, we, I, I would never want him to be involved in an episode like that. So I'm just wondering, how does that work? Gosh, that is such a great question. And I'm glad you asked it because truthfully, I don't feel like people ask it often enough. So as a podcaster, you absolutely should work with organizations that give you power over the brands that you choose to promote. So there definitely are representation firms out there that do not give you the option that say, if you sign up with us, you have to run 100% of the advertisers you bring to us. So you know, first, I would definitely make sure that you are partnering with an organization that is going to allow you to have full control over the types of advertisers you have. Secondly, I think you bring up such an important point, and that is timing. No one wants to listen to a four or five minute ad read, right? Unless it is super, super well produced and it is multi-layered and there is a lot of planning that's happening. People don't want to listen to long ad reads. What happens is that as a listener, you think, huh, that's an interesting product. Oh, okay. All right. Now back to the content, right? Like you don't want somebody to dwell on an advertiser. And I think that there is the misconception that the longer the ad read is, the better that it will perform. And ironically, I have been told um, by a handful of different people that if the ad read is over two minutes, they actually see diminishing returns on its success. Because what happens, you fast forward through it because you're totally bored and you didn't tune into the podcast to listen to ads. You tuned in to listen to the podcast, right? So we have to be super conscientious about delivering really succinct, entertaining ads for products that we like. And if that's not happening, that's where the breakdown, you know, comes. So does that answer your question? Yes. So it is doable with the smarter brands, even though they really want their messages out there, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would say one of the challenges that we face sometimes is that the agencies in particular can, and it depends a lot on the product. So if you've got a medical product, there can be a lot of restrictions about what can be said or can't be said. And so some of those will give you more scripting than others. And then sometimes getting back to the agencies, they'll send you way too many talking points where you're like, there's no way I could say that unless it was a four minute ad read. So if you find yourself in that type of a situation, my recommendation would be to go back to whomever you're working with and say, you know, you purchased a 60 second ad read. And I would say 60 second ad read is a very common length for an ad um, to be sold in, you know, in the space at that, at that, um, you know, length. But I would also say that most people go over 60 seconds. So I would say like a minute and a half to two minutes is probably the most common length. But if they're giving you talking points for four minutes, you should just be like, this is way too much. I can't do it. Thank you. Thanks for the question, Avi. It's always great to have you on stage. Our next guest speaker is Gonzalo Pena. He's combined his two passions, which is innovation and being a podcaster uh, as a Latino. So it's Inno, his podcast is the Inno Latino uh, podcast. Um, he's also into sp space exploration. So I love all of your passions, Gonzalo. If you could start by saying your full name and that you authorize the recording, 
and then go into your question. Over to you. Thank you. My name is Gonzalo Peña from Inno Latino Podcast. Thank you, Billy Samoa. Thank you, Heather, for being here. Really appreciate it. I, I just started my podcast several months ago. I had invested a, a long time in my network, my LinkedIn network, my pro- professional network. My question is, if I have great caliber of guests, can that still compensate for low numbers on on listenership? And if not, uh, do you do you uh, suggest any way that it, I sh- a different approach that I should be having promoting the good guests that I that I'm having? And and I say that is because uh, a couple of, of my guests have been people that. Uh, have been, you know, sports narrator, famous in all over Latin America, top executive in the Lego company. Uh, Another person was being involved in big franchises like Spider-Man, James Cameron, Avatar. And and I think that the content is good. Maybe I'm being too hard on myself because I'm not even a year into my podcast, but I want to get into advertising as soon as possible. So again, my question is, can the caliber of the speakers compensate for the the lack of numbers. And thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for your question. So the short answer I would say really is probably no, but let me unpack that for you. So I think the fact that you're getting high caliber and quality guests is super, super important. And I would encourage you to keep on that, right? So don't let up, you know, don't take your foot off the accelerator pedal when it comes to that. And just because you maybe can't necessarily translate that into ad dollars doesn't mean that you should take the, you know, your foot off the accelerator pedal. Now, what I would say when it does come to guests is that if you're going to do embedded ad reads, which I would recommend since you're just starting out, what you can do in, in terms of how to leverage those guests for ad dollars is say, I'm having this person on the show. And I usually get a thousand downloads maybe per episode, but because I have this big name guest, I know over a period of three months or six months, it's going to continue to get downloads, right? So these big caliber guests are going to continue. Those episodes are going to get listened to more and more and more as you create more content, right? So if the ad is embedded and if you explain to the advertiser that that ad is embedded, then that gives you a leverage point with them. Um, It has not been my experience that an advertiser will say, I'm going to choose to advertise on this podcast just because of the caliber of the guests, um, because ultimately they're still looking at a reach number. So my recommendation to you would be to use it as an accent and um, a a point of sales, but it, it can't necessarily be your only point of sales is just that you have these great guests on there. So you know, speaking about it, getting them on is really important, but it probably won't necessarily lead to ad sales. I think the the most important thing for you to do is focus on the audience. Thank you once again, and thank you, Billy. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thank you. Can you repeat the, the information about uh, your uh, episode about advertising again? And I'm out. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. The podcast, it's the Podcast Advertising Playbook, and you can find that anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can also go to heatherosgood.com, and up in the right-hand corner, I created a growth guide that I give like five different points on ideas about how you can grow your audience, so that could be helpful for you too. You know, I think a lot of us have heard the standard things like go on other podcasts, have long-form articles, 
you know, go to where your audience is, things of that nature. But what, what might a podcaster who's listening right now do that they maybe haven't thought of, which would be maybe a little bit more creative or nuanced, either it's a platform or maybe they advertise on existing platforms. I'm curious what advice you have. So that's part one of the question. And then part two is what other trends are you seeing that would be valuable for the listener to know just generally about the podcast advertising space? Um, would love your answers to those as we ra- round, uh, round out this session. Yeah, for sure. So if you are looking to grow your audience, I always recommend that podcast listeners listen to podcasts. So as Billy had said um, earlier in the episode when we were chatting, really, as we look at it, only about 30% of the population actively listen to podcasts. So it really is a lot of work to grow an audience. And I think one of the challenges that I have faced is often with very large social followings or maybe large um, followings in other platforms. And then when it comes to podcasting, they're like, oh, I'm just going to send out some newsletters. I'm going to like tag this in my Instagram account. And all of a sudden, I'm going to have all these, you know, people listening. Or maybe you don't have like big audiences in those areas. So it's like, how do you get to those people? And my experience has been podcasts in the podcast, right? So if I'm listening to a show and I'm I'm listening to a guest and they have a podcast, I'm more likely to go and check out that show, right? Because I'm already a podcast listener. Whereas if I'm on Instagram and you're having to try and convince me to go and listen to a podcast, what if that person never listens to podcasts, right? And I hate to say this, but what if they don't even know what a podcast is? Because it's still happens, you know, sometimes people just, they still don't get how to do a podcast. So if you can reach somebody who's already listening to a podcast, you are well ahead of the game. So I know like you had mentioned, Billy, promoing your show on other shows is a good go. So I always recommend interviews, interviews, interviews. So as many interviews you do, the better. You can get on bigger shows, even better, right? Um, I think one of the things that I think works best that I, I feel like is kind of a, a good secret is um, advertising your show on podcast players. So like Overcast and CastBox or Player.fm, when you open those apps, they all have like a carousel at the top that highlights certain podcasts, just like Apple has. You know, Apple's is not a paid platform. Um, the people at Apple select those shows to be featured. But in the players, you can buy ads on them. So like for CastBox, for instance, I've been told by shows that we work with that you play to buy and they say they're going to get you a certain number of subscribers and then they keep running your ad until you get those subscribers. So I think that those can be really good places to get listeners if you're interested in investing. Um, the other thing would be to look at potentially purchasing ads on other podcasts. So you know that can be a pricier way to go. Um, I feel like a lot of people do promo swaps and the issue I have with promo swaps is that if you have 100 listeners and I have 100 listeners, how much is it going to move the needle for 10 listeners to come and listen to my podcast, right? It's, it's, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Like, do it, you know, but it's, it's not going to move the needle significantly. So what's going to move the needle significantly for you is to get on a really large podcast get on a podcast player. Like those are the types of things that are going to really help elevate your audience growth. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Heather. I really appreciate your time. And for those that want more information, 
Go to truenativemedia.com to learn more about Heather and her company. You can also listen to her amazing podcast, The Podcast Advertising Playbook. She's also on Twitter, LinkedIn. Where else can they find you or where else would you like them to go to get to know more about you and the work that you do? Yeah, for sure. So I also have heatherosgood.com. So if you go to heatherosgood.com, right up in the right-hand corner, there is our audience growth guide and you can download that for free. Um, But I probably am most active on LinkedIn. So if you are interested in engaging in any of the content I create, we put out lots of tips and tricks on how to kind of perfect your podcast advertising. That's a good place to follow me. I truly hope you enjoyed this episode of For the Love of Podcast with my guest, Heather Osgood who shared so much wisdom when it comes to the world of podcast advertising. I hope you learned as much as I did. And if you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to share it with your friends. Next week, we have a special edition of the show where I take an amazing clubhouse room that I recorded called The Art of the Interview. In it, I get to hear from amazing world-class interviewers, people like Chris Doe, and Steve Olsher and Andy Enriquez and many, many more who share their thoughts on what it takes to be a world-class interviewer. We've taken the best parts of that room that was hours long and condensed it into a single episode. So think of it like the greatest hits, synthesizing what it takes to stand out as a truly extraordinary podcast interviewer. I can't wait for you to hear it. So until next time, please remember everything we do, we do it for the love of podcast.